Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. I hope you have your Bibles. If you do, turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 5. Gospel of John chapter 5. I've had several of you come up to me since I got here today and uh, tell me how much you enjoyed my vacation. I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, Doug Banks, Jonathan Wood, and uh, all of our church staff, Barry, Chris, Matt, who took care of things while we were out. I will tell you that uh, we went down to Florida, Amanda and Lucy and I. Lucy is her dog. We went down to Florida for, uh, for eight days, and on the way down there, we stopped in at Cordell, Georgia, and I've, I've never been, always heard of Cordell, Georgia, never actually been to Cordell, Georgia, and we stopped there for lunch, and uh, we went into a restaurant, and uh, they didn't recognize me in there, um, and I, I think it's because of my haircut uh, that they didn't recognize me. Uh, some of you have come up to me, and listen, this is not Hannibal Lecter, it's not that, and, um, but I'll tell you what happened, I'll tell you what happened. Uh, before we left for vacation, all I did, I only said one thing. I just said one thing. I said, honey, you've got to do something about that dog. That was the last thing I remember before I went to sleep. (laughs) And when I got up, voila. I mean, there it is. And uh, so uh, don't ever say anything about your companion's dog. Um, It'll get your hair cut. It'll get your hair cut. Now, really, I told Amanda that I was going to tell you that, and she said, <laughs> she said, if that really had happened, you wouldn't look as good as it does. <laughs> I mean, so uh, it's really kind of bad. I'll tell you the reason I got it cut, though, aside from the fact that it's just simpler and it's easier. You know, uh, 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 wash it, towel it, gel it, and forget it. it. You know, I like that. So, But, you know, I can carry on the conversation. You see, you see it as it is now, but when I do this... It looks kind of like Batman. <laughs> so, so when I'm carrying on a conversation with somebody, and it's a really good conversation, and then they smart off at me or something, all of a sudden I just go, <laughs> pum, 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 So I kind of like that. I like... Batman's one of my favorite, my favorite people. We're talking about the God questions, uh, questions God asks in Scripture. So far, we've dealt with 18 different questions God asks in Scripture. Usually, when we think about God speaking, we think about Him issuing a command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Or we, we think of Him making uh, a statement like he did to uh, the Apostle Paul. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a statement. But more often than we realize, God asks questions in Scripture. There's one, uh, there's one three-chapter section, for instance, in the book of Job, where God asks 63 questions in just those three chapters. So he is, a, he is an, an interrogative God, a questioning God. And in John chapter 5, we, we find... Another God question, and this one, 
is such a great question. God only asks great questions. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 2. Now this occurs on one of the few times that Jesus visits Jerusalem. Most of the time he spends up in the uh, northern part of what is now Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee. That's where he spends most of his time. That's where his home base is. But now he's down in Jerusalem. We know that he visited there three, maybe four times over a three-year period. This is one of those times, and here's what we find beginning with chapter 5, verse 2. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate. The sheep gate was one of the uh, uh, gates around Jerusalem. This particular gate was the gate through which sacrificial animals, sheep, lambs, were brought into the city to be taken to the temple to be sacrificed. This is the sheep gate. There was near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic, which was the language Jesus most notably spoke, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, and here's the question, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. In one of uh, the previous churches I pastored, there was a family with whom I was very, very close. Saw them on a weekly basis. Not at church, but I saw them on a weekly basis. They uh, did a lot of things for our church. In fact, they did uh, service projects for our church on a weekly basis. They were members of our church, but they hardly ever came to church. It was the strangest thing. They were weekly doing things for our church, but they were hardly ever at church. And the reason was because they were always sick. They were always sick. Every member of this family was always sick, or they said they were sick. I never, during the years I was at this church, I I never quite understood what their uh, disease, if any, was, but they were sick. All the time. Now, they, they, uh, they, they went to work. Everybody in the family went to work every day. They worked long hours. Some of the members of the family served in public office the whole time that I knew them. Uh, as I said, they were constantly doing things for our church. In fact, on a weekly basis, they did uh, a particular thing for our church that nobody else there could do, and they would do it for us. But they hardly ever came to church. I would say they would average coming one Sunday to worship every three years. And they never came to Sunday school. And if you were ever to ask them, 
how are you doing? I mean, you know, you know, these kind of people, uh, there are some people you don't ask them how they're doing. Do you know that? You know, uh, that's a terrible thing to have to confess, but, but you know it to be the truth. There are some folks you just don't ask them how they're doing because you don't have time for the answer. Number one, it's going to be an essay answer to a short answer question. And it's always going to be, I'm so sick, I can't hardly stand up. And then they will go on to tell you how sick they are. Now, I loved this family, and they, they loved me. I, I've had uh, the funerals of every person in this family for the past 20 years, and there have been several. So I don't, I don't mean to be critical of them. I, I love them very much. But there, there were times when I wanted to ask them a question that I never got the nerve to ask them because I didn't want to offend them. I knew it would anger them, and I didn't want to anger them because I valued their relationship, my relationship that I had with them. But here's the question I, so many times I wanted to ask them. Do you want to get well? Do you want things to be better? It seems like a a crazy question. It was a question Jesus asked a man, and it's the only time we see God asking this question is in John chapter 5. Jesus is is paying one of his at least four visits to Jerusalem, three or four visits to Jerusalem, and, and on his tour of Jerusalem, he stops near the sheep gate by a pool called Bethesda, the Bethesda Pool. It was a well-known place in Jerusalem. It was well-known especially to people uh, who were, had diseases or who were handicapped because the Pool of Bethesda was known to have uh, contained or possessed healing powers. It was believed that every day at a certain time, an angel came down from heaven and splish-splashed the waters. And then, after the angel splish-splashed the waters, the first person into the pool after the splish-splash was healed of whatever disease or handicap he or she had. So you have descending angel, splish-splash, first come, first serve. And if you weren't the first into the pool... Sorry, snooze you lose. That's the belief that was known about the Bethesda pool. And so because a lot of people believe this, there was always a crowd every day, at least up until the time that the waters got stirred and somebody beat everybody else into the pool. Up to that point, it was a very crowded place. And Jesus passed by the pool. Now, John tells us that there was a man there who had been paralyzed, he'd been invalid, for 38 years. That's a long time. And he was at the pool. We don't know how long he'd been there, but just reading between the lines, although John just doesn't come out and say this, one, would, one is led to think that this man had, was a fixture at the pool. That he'd been there for a long time, every single day. People knew him. We know that people knew him and knew his condition because there were some folks who turned to Jesus and told Jesus about this man. Because John says when Jesus learned that this man had been there in that condition for such a long time, he began talking to 
this man. There's so much that John doesn't say that is obvious. This man is paralyzed. He cannot get to that pool on his own. Somebody had to have brought him there. Jesus turns to him, to this man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years, who had been coming to this pool, no telling how long, possibly many, many years, every, almost every day, and he says to him, do you want to get well? It's almost a laughable question, isn't it? I mean, I can see this guy looking up and saying, do I want to get well? I mean, man, I, I've been paralyzed for 38 years. I've been coming to this pool. You think I'd come to this pool if I didn't want to get well? What kind of question is that? I can see him saying that in response to Jesus' question, although that wasn't his response, at least not what John records him as to say. He turns to Jesus and he says, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. As soon as the angel uh, splashes the water, somebody else beats me into the pool. They beat me and, and nobody else helps me. At first glance, it's a laughable question. But on second glance, it's not so laughable. Actually, it's a, it's a very legitimate question. You know why? Because some folks don't want to be well. Some folks don't want to get better. Some people have come to the point in their lives where they actually thrive on misery. And so they don't want to get better. They may say they want to get better. Sometimes they act like they want to get better, but there are some people who don't want to get better. I don't know but what the family that I I mentioned from my previous church, I don't know but what they didn't want to be better. They didn't want to be better. And there was some question as to whether or not this man really wanted to be better. Now, there's some essentials to getting better, whether you're an individual who's in a situation that needs to get better, or if you're in a family or a marriage And the situation could be lots better. Or if you're in a church, certainly applies to our church. If you're in a a, a position where things could be better. Here's the question for you. Do you want to be better? Do you want your life to be better than it is? You must make that decision first step. Because if you really down deep don't want to get better, nothing else I'm about to say, I mean, you might as well pack up and head out. Do you want to get better? I want you to note, first of all, that it is essential that we must realize that things can be better. Things can be better. You see, some people don't get better because... They truly do not see that life can be any better. I, I meet people in uh, marriages that are not good. And when I'm talking to them, I say, you know, it, it just, I, I've just given up hope that things can be better. 
in our current economic recession, the unemployment rate in our nation is hovering somewhere around the 10% mark. But if you've been following the news, you know that the real mark is somewhere around 17 or 18 percent because the 10 percent mark does not include the 7 or 8 percent of folks who are unemployed in America who have given up hope on finding a job and therefore they've stopped looking for a job. Because they don't believe that things can get better. But you have to believe against all supposed evidence that things can be better for you than what they are. They can be better. You say, wait a minute, preacher, uh, uh, what if you have an incurable disease? What if you have an incurable disease that is terminal, a terminal disease? What if you have that? You're not going to get better. Well, it's true that the disease may not get better, but that doesn't mean that your life even under the burden of that disease, can't be better than it is. This past week, Steve Jobs, the uh, brilliant uh, founder and chairman of Apple Corporation, died at age 56 of pancreatic cancer. He was diagnosed with it in mid-2004. He battled it for seven years, but listen to me very carefully. Uh, Steve Steve Jobs was too smart not to know what I'm about to say. The moment that he got the diagnosis that he had pancreatic cancer, he knew that he was going to die of it, more than likely. You just don't escape it. It is a death knell. But let me tell you something that Steve Jobs did not do. He did not get down in sackcloth and ashes and say, oh, woe is me, life is over, nothing can be better, everything's going down the tubes. He didn't. It was, in fact, it was after he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that Steve Jobs came out one after another after another with some of the greatest uh, pieces of technological advancement that the world has ever known. As I was down in Florida this week and and got the news that Steve Jobs died, I thought, wow, man, uh, you know, of course, I don't know the guy and I don't own an iPhone. I I have a droid phone. Barry and Matt have been trying to get me to get an iPhone. (laughs) Get an iPhone. But, you know, I got to realizing that my droid phone was produced by Google in response to Steve Jobs' iPhone in competition with him. I have an iPod my kids gave me one year for my birthday. I have about 70 of my favorite songs on there. I was listening to them walking down the beach this week, and I realized Steve Jobs has affected my life almost every day of my life now. Uh, The slides on our screen are produced by an Apple computer. You! Every Sunday you're here, you're affected by Steve Jobs. The program that plays our slides on that computer, which was produced, I think, by the folks at North Point Church, was produced exclusively for Apple computers. Steve Jobs. Every time you take your kids to see Toy Story or Shrek or some of those uh, animated great classics, Steve Jobs. 
There's so many things he did. He refused to believe that because he had a, a bad diagnosis that life couldn't be better. If you want life to be better than what it is, you have to first of all believe that it can be. And truly, ladies and gentlemen, it can be because all things are possible with God. Now, the second essential is this. We must take responsibility for our future. That was the one weakness that this man in John chapter 5 had. He did not want to take responsibility. Instead of taking responsibility, when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Instead of, instead of taking responsibility, he starts offering excuses. And the excuse that he offered was, I, I don't have anybody. I don't have, sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the water. I'd get in the water if I had somebody to help me. I don't have anybody to help me get in the water. He starts offering excuses. And then he says, and when they do ruffle the water, somebody gets in there in front of me. You know, he wants to play the victim. He makes excuses and he blames everybody else. He simply did not want to take responsibility for his own future. You see, the, and here's the real problem with the man's reasoning. He did have some people willing to help him. He did. He did. It wasn't true that he didn't have anybody to put him in the pool. He did have people. Which brings me to the third essential. We need a little help from our friends. You can't get better Without a little help from your friends, if you think that you're going to be able to go through life being your own man or your self-made woman or you're the Lone Ranger or Batman without Robin, friend, you're going to fail miserably. We need a little help from our friends. Now, this man, it's not true that he didn't have anybody. Listen, he'd been in this shape for 38 years. We don't know exactly how many of those years he showed up at the pool of Bethesda, but he showed up there often enough that people knew him and knew his situation. In other words, he'd been there a lot. Now get this. He's paralyzed. He didn't get there by himself. He couldn't. He wasn't able to get there by himself, which means somebody every day that he was there took him there. Now, let's just imagine of those 38 years that he was paralyzed, let's just imagine that for five years, I, I, I happen to believe that it's longer than that, but let's just say for five years, somebody almost every day brought this man to the Bethesda pool. It may have been a single family who was caring about him, or it may have been a community in which he lived, and they all knew his predicament, and they'd heard about the, the miraculous powers inherent in the Bethesda pool, and so they, they, would, they would take time about alternating taking him to the pool. I don't know exactly what the scenario was, but I do know this. Somebody was regularly taking this man to the Bethesda pool. Now, we can take the perspective of finding fault with these people. We can say, well, man, you know, why didn't they put him in the pool? You know, they brought him to this pool every day. Why didn't they put him in the pool? Did they not care enough about him to put him in the pool? I think that's missing the point. Get this. Don't you believe that if these people, whoever they were, cared enough about this man to take him to the pool every day, 
for many years. Don't you think they cared enough about him to stay there if, if he wanted them to and have them put him in the pool? I believe that they would have. In fact, I'll tell you what else I think they would have done. If they cared enough about him to take him to the pool every day, I believe he could have gotten enough of his community neighbors to show up that a couple of them, as soon as the angels splish splashed the waters, they could have, a couple of them could have thrown him in the pool while the other ten of them kept everybody else back. Why didn't they? Could it be he didn't want them to? Could it be that he wanted them to bring him to the pool, but he didn't want them to stay because he kind of thrived on his misery. He got a lot of attention there as the victim. He got Jesus' attention. Hey, you can't be better than that. He got Jesus' attention. And, and, and besides, ladies and gentlemen, if he got healed, if he managed to fall into that pool before anybody else did, and if the pool really did have miraculous powers, and if he was healed, this man has got to get a job. This man's got to stop acting like a victim. This man's got to stop coming to the pool. This man's got to stop, start making some money. This man, his life would be changed in a way that he would be forced to take responsibility that he didn't want to take. This man would rather stay where he was. Do you want to get well? But he did have friends who were willing to help him. It's not true he didn't have anybody. Uh, I mentioned Steve Jobs earlier. I was watching a, a 2003 60 Minutes interview of Steve Jobs uh, a couple of nights ago. And the interviewer asked Steve Jobs, what is your, what, what is your greatest strength and your greatest weakness. Here's what he said his greatest strength was. I'm quoting. Steve Jobs said, I've been very lucky in meeting incredibly talented people and hanging out with them. That has been my greatest strength. Now here's a man whose mind is so brilliant. I mean, it's light years more brilliant than anything I will ever attain. And, and here, this brilliant man said, I couldn't have done it without the people with whom I have affiliated. I have been fortunate enough to be with some incredibly talented people. And not only that, I heard the, uh, one of the vice presidents of Google talking about him this past week after his death. And he said, he said, listen, a lot of people will tell you that Steve Jobs came up with all this stuff on his own. He said, it's not true. He said, he said, Apple, Steve Jobs filled Apple, especially the top positions in Apple, with some of the most incredibly creative and innovative people on the planet. We need a little help from our friends. Number Four, we must truly want to get better. You got to want it. Let me ask you something. What is it in your life that you passionately want? Are you willing to do what it is required to get it? I'm talking about within reason and within uh, 
lawfulness and within righteousness? Are you, what are you willing to do to get what you really want? You must truly want to get better. The family at my previous church, they didn't have, no, nobody in their, in their family had cancer. Nobody had Alzheimer's disease. Nobody had Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, nobody had any disease that had ever been diagnosed. And they went to the doctor all the time. They were one of the few people I know whose doctor would make house calls to them on a regular basis. And nobody ever knew what they had. Now, in, in their defense, they may have had something that nobody wanted to talk about. But I wonder if they wanted to get better. We must truly want to get better. Number five, you have to reject false hope. Times like these are really tough, and I'll tell you why they're really tough. Because when people really get down low and, and fear that they're about to lose hope, they will start looking in some erroneous places for hope. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, I don't know if it was last week or week before. There was, this, there was this front page story of some people. They, they called themselves pilgrims. Now, they were going to a place, to a, a, a some, I guess, a church. There was a communion wafer. A communion wafer that had, they said, the image of the Virgin Mary on it. And they were traveling from all over the world to see it. What? You see, the real issue here, and, and our, if you have a King James Version of this chapter, you... you you still have the, the, the uh, inclusion of the verses that talk about the angel coming down and ruffling the water, and then the first one in gets healed. In, in New American Standard Bible and the New International Version, modern, more contemporary versions take that out because they, those verses were not in the original manuscripts or the earliest manuscripts we have. In other words, it was a legend. There were people who believed that an angel came down and splashed the water, and then the first one in got healed. Listen. Do you really believe that God works on a first-come, first-served basis? And if you're not the first one in, then everybody's out? Is that really the way that we expect God to work? This was all a, it was a legend. And all these people were gathered there every day. It's probably like a Friday, a Friday and Saturday yard sale in the fall. The yard sale doesn't start till 9 o'clock, but people start showing up at 6.30. That's why whenever a man and I do a yard sale, we don't do that many, but when we do... I always put the uh, yard sales up at Ronald Stover's house, right next, uh, two doors down from me. That way, people show up at 6.30, they're at Ronald and Rosalind's, they're not at my house. And I like that. Now, Ronald doesn't like it too much, but they're showing up early at Bethesda Pool. And why? For false hope. They have placed their hope in waters that have no hope. You have to reject False hope, because false hope is no hope. And then finally, if you want things to get better, you have to rely on the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to include the Lord in your life. You have to have a relationship with Christ. 
If you really want things to be really, really better in an eternal way, you have to allow the Lord into your life and include Him. You can realize that things can be better. You can take responsibility for your future. You can stop making excuses. You can surround yourself with great friends. But those who truly want to get better must include the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. And if they don't, they will not. They will not get as better as they could. So do you want to get better? Do you want to get better? Now let me just stop for a moment and talk to our church about something that's related to this. We all know as individuals... Things can be better if we want it to. We know as families, things can be better if we want them to. What about in our church? Ever since 2002, we've been working toward relocating. I thought we'd be there by now. The recession didn't help. Opposition didn't help. Church, look at me. Do you want our church to be better? Do you want things to be better than they are? We need to move. I hate to say it, it means we're going to need to raise more money. And we need to sell this facility. Let me ask you this, do you believe that if we all pray, God will see to it that those things are done? Two weeks from today, we will celebrate the beginning of the third and final year of our capital campaign. We started a three-year capital campaign two years ago. And at each annual Sunday, annual mark, we have a kind of a, a remembrance, uh, a mini campaign of sorts. And we will have that two weeks from today. If you made a financial commitment at the beginning of this campaign and things are better for you, and you see that you can maybe commit more for the final year, you'll have the opportunity to do that. If you made a commitment and all of a sudden you lost your job and the props got knocked out from under and you're not going to be able to make that commitment, you have the right on that day to lower your original commitment without any guilt whatsoever. We, we all realize what we're going through here. If you're new to our church and you weren't here when we started the, the campaign and, and you'd like to participate in what's going on and make a, a commitment for the final year, you'll have the opportunity to do that two weeks from today on the 23rd of October. But I will tell you this. Whether we move and whether we grow, We've been stagnant for five years, by the way. We grew like everything right up to 2006, and then we've been stagnant because we haven't been able to move. Do you 
want our church to be better. You see, there is only one person at that pool who could have made this man's life better than what it was. Because everybody, every other, everybody else was willing to roll. They were ready on go. There was only one person. You know who it was? It was that man. And there's only one person who can make your life better. The Lord's willing. Your friends are willing. It's you. There's only one person who can make your marriage better. It's you. There's only one person who can make your family better. It's you. And there's only one group that can make our church better. And folks, it's you. People say, well, we've been waiting on God. No, God's been waiting on you. He's been ready a long time. He's been sitting out there on that property waiting for a long time. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? It's up to you. Let's pray. Father, we've read about this man at the pool. And we've, we've been thinking all along that we've been reading about somebody else, but we've been reading about ourselves. We are the ones who've been waiting at that pool, clinging sometimes to false hope, making excuses and blaming people wrongfully. We're the ones, Lord, who have held our own selves back while you come up and you ask us the question that we have hated to hear. Do you really want to get well? Do you really want things to be better? Do you? Prove it. Lord, I pray that individuals here under the sound of my voice, I pray that families here, I pray that this church will get up, take up our mat, and move forward and stop hanging around the false hope pool. And go where you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're about to have our invitation. If you're here and you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior, this is the time to come and make the decision to receive Christ. If you're here and you're saved, you're a Christian, but you're not a member of a local church, this is the time to come. And if you feel the Lord leading you to join Palmetto Baptist Church. Perhaps there is some other reason why you'd like to come to the altar that's not even connected with anything I've preached about or said or anything. You just, you just feel the need to take something to the Lord in prayer. This is the time to do it. This is the time for life change. This is the time to begin the process of truly getting better. What will you do with it? Let's stand and do something with it.